politics today, the loudest, most demanding voices become our elected leaders. We associate boldness and confidence with strength, don't we? So how is it that Mahatma Gandhi, a man who couldn't string two sentences together in front of a crowd, ended up leading an independence movement? And if you think I'm exaggerating about Gandhi's impediment, Gandhi himself referred to it as, quote, an awful strain of public speaking, which was such a burden he tried to get out of dinner parties and friendly gatherings if he knew he would be expected to speak. When he was a student, Mahatma Gandhi would have panic attacks over public speaking. He was asked once to give a speech at a vegetarian community in London. Now, if you know any vegetarians, you know how much they love talking about their diet. So you think this was a layup for Gandhi, right? But Gandhi, the most prolific speaker of the 20th century, choked. He had to abandon his speech after reading one line of his prepared notes. He asked someone else to read the rest. As a lawyer, he did no better in front of crowds. In his first case, he panicked when he went before the judge. He couldn't think of any questions to ask in front of the courtroom, which is kind of what lawyers do. Later, he said of the event, my head was reeling. I felt as though the court was doing likewise. So what finally turned God into the powerhouse of wisdom and pithy meaning that we know him as? In a word, passion. Gandhi found a passion so great, it pushed him past his fears. He desired to see a free India. Later, Gandhi would say that his hesitancy in speech was an advantage. It made him consider his message, and he learned to pack meaning into short, pithy statements. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no-duh on the internet and get us to the juicy facts. Our subject for today is going to be something Todd and I both feel very passionately about. We're talking about public speaking. Um, Specifically, we're talking about some of the myths about public speaking and communicating in public that we want to bust personally. Uh, So, Todd, would you mind giving us the myths? We are both experts on this. We both found public speaking and have done our 10,000 hours for different reasons, for different goals. Would you agree with that? I all but the experts part. We're, we're experienced, <laughs> I, I think, potentially. Myth one. We talk every day, all day. So shouldn't public speaking come easy to us? Why are more people afraid of public speaking than death? Myth two. Certain people are just natural speakers. They're effervescent and engaging, and everyone is just drawn to them. They are blessed. It is easy for them. It's just not my thing. So I'm just going to sit this one out. Myth three, corny articles on the internet tell us with their advice, a five-minute speech presentation, we could all be ready to give a keynote at Madison Square Gardens. We read terrible advice like, just imagine the audience in their underwear. Take a deep breath. Visualize success. And my favorite, don't fear fear. We're busting those myths, and we're getting behind the podium. But first... Joe and I are going to share a list of celebrities and famous speakers who are scared to death to stand up and speak. Because if giving your speech is your Achilles heel, you are not alone. Abraham Lincoln, Mahatma Gandhi, Thomas Jefferson, Winston Churchill, Harrison Ford, Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Willis, Rowan Atkins, better known as Mr. Bean, Julia Roberts, Warren Buffett, Sir Richard Branson, and mega church pastor Joel Osteen. So these are all people who are very afraid of public speaking, or at least used to be. And someone should relate to one of these, because we kind of picked out people from... <laughs> right. <laughs> someone. Yeah, for me, uh, uh, it's Mr. Bean. Did Mr. Bean talk? 
No, he was a silent, but he was such a goofball, comic, physical actor. He's always making a fool of himself. You think he'd feel very comfortable getting up there. Right. You'd think public speaking would be easy for that kind of guy. The big one for me is Harrison Ford. Yeah. How can you be a famous actor for 50 years and be afraid to get up and talk about something that you do every day? Right. That famous. Yeah. The, the, other, the other people on this list, I can kind of see it. They can be like, well, they, they only speak under certain circumstances, but not Harrison Ford. That That's, that's kind of a mind blower. So... We got into public speaking for different reasons. Um, we've, we've stated before on this podcast that Todd and I are both members of um, Toastmasters. Um, for me, it was, I would have taken any public speaking, uh, be that Rotary or Mason Club or, or drama. Like, I was going to get into something because I needed it. Um, what, what got you into public speaking? What was your need? My biggest thing was... Uh... I, I did debate in high school, and I did sales training. So I, I would see these guys. I'd go to these seminars, these sales trainers, and I'd see them up there, and I thought, I want to be like that. That guy made more money in an hour than I make in two months. Uh, I want to be like him or her. Financial incentive. <laughs> yes. The greed, the greed. Right. Well, as we will get into in this episode today, there is a lot of financial reason to get better public speaking if only to sharpen your skills up. Um, I, I think for me, I've, I've talked about this uh, on the podcast before. I was uh, rejected for a, a, a Clarion-style writer's group because I did such a poor job of communicating my project. Um, and then later ended up coming back and winning an award at that group. So it was embarrassing for me to, to lack the skills to speak to that degree. What happened when you went up there? Share the story with us. Well, it, I was, to, to, to go back, I won't take up too much of our time, but um, it, it was my turn to share a story with everybody. It, I had written it. Uh, um, it was completed. I was, I was ready to have um, the group's opinion. And it was a small group. It was about seven people. Um, and it, it was my time to share, and I did such a poor job. I was embarrassed as a public speaker. And so I, I got up in front of the group, and I rambled, and I, I said, well, well, this is something I'm working on. Uh, uh, forgive me if it's the, the ideas aren't complete. And I, I basically stuttered my way through five minutes of explaining, you know, why I'm sorry they have to read this. And Didn't it, represent yourself well. Not at all. And it was all purely public speaking. It wasn't embarrassment for the project. It was because I felt nervous. Uh, and at the end, the, the group wisely said, you know, it doesn't sound like you're ready. We're, we're going to give you some more time. Uh, and that was the same entry I entered into their annual. And then I took second during the annual. So I was invited to, you know, I, I went to a ball or a gala. And every, like a couple people from my writers group were there. And, and they were like, well, it looks like you, you had something there after all. And I, I, I joked with them and it was, it was a fun time. It was all very well received. I, it's. I wish this was more of like a cocktail party story where I'm just like <laughs> splash my drink in someone's face and said, you know, you didn't think anything of me. But I like to run off and cry somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would have been dramatic, too. Yeah. No, it, it was it, it, that was basically what taught me I needed public speaking skills, that, that I had the technical proficiency to do this, but not the ability to communicate it. That is a that was a huge failing. So I went into public speaking. So, Joe, how afraid are people of public speaking? I like that you phrased it, how afraid are people, and you didn't directly ask me how afraid of people are you or uh, how afraid of public speaking are you. That was very nice of you. Joe tries not to make eye contact with other people because they might speak to him and say good morning. I, I have a, um, a light bright here, and you can't see it, but but I hold it up and I play light bright whenever I don't want to make eye contact with Todd over this table. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, I go out on my way to make other people uncomfortable by talking to them, <laughs> hugging them, touching them inappropriately. It's, it's always nice to have somebody, an extrovert around, to make sure you can't have a moment to yourself. But... <laughs> Uh, no, jokes aside, um, glossophobia, uh, which is the, the fear of public speaking, is a very real and very common thing. Um, it's 
According to this article by Psychology Today, it's up to 75% of the population has some level of glossophobia, um, which is strangely, this, this is something that struck me as odd, m- more common in younger patients. Um, so when people come in, it's usually young folks, uh, and it's more prevalent in females com- than, than males. So um, young females have the, the highest rate of having glossophobia, fear of public speaking. It usually uh, is present or, or is comorbid in people who have social anxiety disorders. Um, and these disorders can affect, you know, 5 to 9% of Americans. Um, so we're, we're, we're talking um, any social anxiety disorder. Uh, you, you can have a fear of people. Uh, it, it can be a manifestation of depression or anxiety. Um, Massive but it's, insecurity, right? Right. It's it's not strictly uh, just a, an isolated fear, although it can be. Um, I think all men- mental illness and all problems are kind of blended a little bit, right? Yeah, it's it, it's called comorbidity, and it overlaps definitely. Um, but as this uh, article states, um, it's important to point out not all individuals with a fear of public speaking also have a social anxiety or another um, psychiatric disorder. But if you went to a classroom of you know, a hundred kids, seventy-five of them would be deathly afraid to come up to the and say a few words. Right, and they all have different reasons. You you can just purely not want to talk in front of a group. That that's a, a an okay thing to have. You're healthy. Um, no one here listening to the podcast is broken. You just have one of you know. You're if you're in one of these seventy-five percent and you don't like public speaking then that's a normal reaction. You're right where you should be. You're right where you should be, yes. But we're going to talk to you about why you want to go to the other side. Yes, yeah. You're you're starting from a healthy place, probably, um, but we're going to convince you that you should get into public speaking. Now, here are a couple reasons why people have anxiety over public speaking. Uh, One is purely from anxiety. People who generally experience higher anxiety uh, just in, in their life, in situations, um, they're more likely to have anxiety with public speaking as well. Because public speaking, um, it's generally a cause for anxiety. It raises your blood pressure and it, it, it gives you flight or, uh, flight or fight responses. Um, so anxiety will contribute to that. Um, threat level. So we, we oftentimes tell people that If you're getting into public speaking or if you're giving a speech in front of a class, we tell you in the classroom, uh, hey, just don't be afraid. Imagine everybody in their underwear. You know, uh, imagine all these people being your personal friends. We give people lots of advice, but honestly, it comes from a pretty deep-rooted place. Fear of public speaking is not an idle fear. Um, you, You actually really, for real, might get shunned from a social group sometime in your life. Uh, in fact, you probably aren't a human unless you have been. I have been. It's horrible at all, every stage of my life, and it sucks every time. Yeah, it, it totally does. It, that That's a fear that – and you shouldn't have that fear go away either. You, you should always in your life be you know slightly worried about becoming a pariah. Um, so that that's something that, that is false that we tell people in school. So, so, so telling everyone it's just your friends is making it worse. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be shunned by my friends by revealing something in a public speech. Um, so the the big thing we're going to encourage people is um, practice in a laboratory. We don't mean an actual laboratory. I mean you, you go to a class or you go to a meeting. A safe space. A safe space to practice. Um, that way you can get over the threat aspect of glossophobia where you feel like you're going to get shunned from a group. Well, if you pick out a classroom or you pick out a club locally, if you get shunned from there, well, then you haven't lost anything. You, you return to your normal social group or you find a new class, which makes it so much easier. Another reason why some people might fear public speaking is skill level. If you're not prepared or if you physically can't make the words work, then you're going to have anxiety over public speaking. What I mean by that is um, I, I have a stutter, naturally. In fact, it comes out on this podcast all the time. I have what's called a, um, in Toastmasters, they call it a double clutch. Uh, it just means that I will start words and repeat them quickly. Um, that can make you uncomfortable speaking. 
poor preparation in general can also do that. So if you feel like you don't know enough about what you're about to talk about, uh, if you give a speech at class and it's on a book that you were supposed to do a book report for and you skipped it, that can lead to anxiety. And procrastination is the worst thing for public speaking anxiety. Yeah. If you're underprepared and if you're procrastinating. You can't overprepare. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, if that, that's one of the anxiety factors you personally can get rid of just by you know, going into it with a little bit of work ethic. Most of these things you have to overexpose yourself to to get over it, the, the fear. But, but at least with preparation, you can do that you know, in the off hours. And I already said the magic word. Uh, exposure. Um, you can totally expose your therapy your way out of public speaking fears. Um, repetition and practice and knowing that you're not going to uh, go too far and get yourself shunned from a social group, uh, which, which means just good content selection and practice and delivery uh, and once in a while getting booed or heckled. Uh, it totally helps. It, it makes you realize that the worst that can happen is social pariah. It's not, it's not fear of a physical death, but it is a social death of kind. Yes, absolutely. Like if you're a comedian, you, you never have to return to that club and see those drunks again. But if you're delivering a speech in front of your class, you're going to have to see those students again. So you better not you know, say something that is too wild or too alienating. I think of the NNM song, I got booed and laughed off stage. Right. <laughs> you don't want that to happen in front of like your parents and your, your, your close friends. So with our talk about anxiety, do you know anyone who has lost any opportunities or, or anything in their life because they had this anxiety? I was in a communication class up in Seattle, and a woman came in, a new, a new member, and her name was Karen. And, of course, she's new. I introduced myself. said, why are you here? She was traumatized. Her mother passed away, and they had a very close relationship. Her mother was her best friend. Her mother was something she held in very hell regards as her hero. And at the funeral, she wanted to get up and honor her mother. And she got up to do it, and she couldn't speak. She was so afraid. And it was in front of just her friends and family, cousins, or her brothers and sisters. Mm. And so she came to this class and says, that opportunity is never going to be here again, but I am not going to do that again. So That's, that's both tragic and heroic. It would have been great if she had been there a year before or a few months before. We could have right. cured her and got up there. Now, I have another friend up at Seattle. He works for, I'm not going to say what company it is, but they make airplanes. And he had been in this, he's working in the same job for 20 years. He didn't go to college. He just went right and started working for this company. Well, a promotion came up that they only give to people with a, a lot higher education. But he was so good at what he did. He'd been doing it so good. He was such an expert. He was such a professional problem solver that they put him up for the job. The job was his. He was going to be the first one they hired without a college degree for this supervisory job. All he had to do was go in front and talk in front of a board of five people. He knew this like the back of his hand, Joe. He had his 10,000 hours. He's an absolute expert. There's nothing that they can ask him he doesn't know. Mm. But he bombed it because of public speaking. And he made himself look foolish. And he was crying when he told me this story because he had already told his friends, told his family, told his kids about this promotion. Oh, wow. And the head started spending the money. We're going to pay this off. We're going to get a bigger place. And so he came, and the same thing with her says, that's not going to happen to me again. Wow. And we, we I mean, talk about preparation. We, we mentioned that one factor of being uh, uh, anxious about public speaking can be because you're underprepared. This guy knew everything about the airline he was working for, so that was not even a factor. It was purely anxiety then. He needed those reps in that safe space that you talked about before. Wow. And he well, underestimated it. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, the, the, the laboratory part of practicing public speaking is so important. So, Joe, this, the science thing, what are we so afraid of? For public speaking, I was going to say bears. But, um, 
<laughs> so uh, this again from Psychology Today, and um, I, I know we do this very often. Our podcast should be uh, the re-engineered caveman because <laughs> I feel like every time we do a podcast about something about the brain or about um, uh, how people function, we always go back to the ancient man uh, comparisons. So uh, prehistory man, uh, imagine uh, your cave ancestors uh, wandering around with clubs and spears. Um, and, you know, uh, ancient, ancient uh, your grandfather or grandmother, one of your ancient tribal uh, um, uh, members, turns around and says, Hey, uh, I'm tired of being attacked by woolly mammoths every morning. Uh, why don't we move somewhere more safe? Like, why don't we try, I don't know, moving into the mountains? And everyone disagrees with them and hates their idea so much they tell them to take a walk. Yeah, I think they're trying to get everybody killed. If you're an idiot, what are you thinking? Right, right. This is a dumb idea. There are literal mountain lions up on the on the mountaintop. Uh, and, and they're told, you know, you're out of the tribe. Get out of here. We hate your your ideas. Your Your ideas are stupid. Uh, even for a caveman, they're dumb. Uh, that basically means death. Uh, uh, anytime uh, group exclusion happens, it's called in- inclusion and exclusion. Uh, group inclusion was fully necessary for early human survival. Um, so if you're in a, a, a group or a pack or a tribe, you need to be accepted. And we literally feel uh, um, uh, pain, and we can feel pain from rejection. Um, but there's also a, a mechanisms in place to make us feel uh, foolish, to, to make us feel embarrassed, to make us feel uh, wrong when we have everyone disagree with us. So the risky behavior, if you were seen as wise, you would get more powerful in the tribe and if you were seen as making bad decisions you were ousted and dead right right now if if i make a bad joke in front of my friends they groan and they sort of they 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 think i'm being dumb in that moment Uh, however if i pitch the idea to them that we don't need uh internal heating this winter we just need a 55 gallon burn barrel in the front room um if i make too many of those suggestions and i'm completely serious they will kick me out but because we're living in modern society, that's not such a bad thing. I'll just post up online that I need a new roommate <laughs> who is willing to huddle around a burn barrel in the winter. <laughs> so it, it doesn't matter what I'm into or, or what social faux pas I break. Uh, um, the stakes are different now. The stakes are different. I can always find a new social group that will accept me. But Ancient Man did not have that. They, you know, Being kicked out of the tribe means death. Um, so that, that kind of... Right now, we're living in what's called cancel culture, where if you make a, a big mistake, you, you say something that is not politically correct, um, you can be uh, canceled on Twitter, and that can have ripples out into your life, uh, like your, your persona, your job. You can, you can end up losing your job if you say something too wild on Twitter and your boss finds out. Um, so it's, it's kind of ironic that for a very long time, uh, we had this history where we could say or do almost anything get away with it and now we're almost back to the tribal we're, we're almost back to the part where if you say something the tribe doesn't like you can be shunned and it can be you know really affect your life um i won't make the argument whether that's good or bad i, I actually don't uh, unlike you know I've, I've heard jerry seinfeld rail against how bad you know cancel culture is and pc culture is I personally don't have an opinion on it. I, I think it's it's just another expression of you know human and our trends. Um, but if you are trying to get into public speaking, it's very important to know that that is a, a real fear from a real place. It, it was embedded in us early uh, that you you have an instinct not to get shunned by the tribe, and that's the first thing you're going to have to um, grow accustomed to in public speaking. Now, if you have a problem with public speaking or being a better communicator, I have two solutions for you. And I'm willing to take both. (laughs) One at a time. The first one is, um, as a young kid growing up, I moved schools a lot. And when I was about 14 years old, I was just sick. I'd move schools, move cities, move states. And I was just exhausted, fatigued from making new friends. And I told this to my mom. I was depressed. I was in a new school. I didn't want to go. 
She bought me this book when I was 14. It was called Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you read oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yes, I have. Do you like the book? <laughs> I do. I love the old-timey sayings in there. <laughs> There's one part where he, he's like, hogwash, bear oil. And I, I had asked my uncle what bear oil meant. And... Well, that stuff is as relevant. Uh, it's one of the best-selling self-help books besides the Bible. Yeah. It's as relevant today as it ever was. But he has a class. Del Garnegie has a class, and it's world famous. It's been around... Um, it's for business professionals. And one of the big things that it does, it, it teaches you how to public speak in short bursts. Okay. Um, a lot of times, and anyone in a corporate job will know, a lot of these managers go on and on and on talking about nothing. They don't have an agenda. They don't have a point. It's just to have a meeting and to hear their own voice. So it talks to two-minute bursts. Um, it's very rich content in the training, and it has real-life scenarios. It talks about how to write real quality emails, not just things that cause mis, uh, misunderstandings. You ever read an email and get pissed off? Yes. Yeah, and it wasn't that person's intent, but the way they worded it, you think, what are, they, what are you trying to say? Yeah, you can't hear the tone. Like, they're, if it's being sarcastic or if they're trying to be ironic, you can't hear that in an email. Um, it's very interactive. Everyone has a role on Dale and Carnegie class, and it talks about things you can practice in there and use at work the next day. Oh, that's helpful. One of the things that I love out of it, and it's, and there's it's content rich. There's millions of takeaways. It's a very good value. Is don't apologize. Don't get up and say, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't have time to prepare for this. I would have done that." Just tell them what you got. Give them the best shot you have. Don't apologize. Just stand up and just go. Okay, so don't apologize. Just don Draper your way through any presentation you have. And unlike a lot of self-help stuff, he shows the importance of building up other people and recognizing your coworkers. And what I say personally is it's easy to point out the problems and flaws with somebody, right? It's easy to say what sucks about work. Finding solutions is a lot more valuable. I like that. Okay. So, join Dale Carnegie's program. We're not getting sponsorship for this, but it's, <laughs> it's a great value. I've I've never done the program. I've heard of it, um, but I have read the book, and and even that alone, um, it gives you some actionable tips. The classes are taught by people who graduated from the previous class, so it has a, a momentum and an energy. And there's something about people who do things after work, whether it's church, the gym, a class. Those are the kind of people you want to surround yourself with. Those are the people going somewhere. Right. So it's um, not a pyramid scheme. It's, it's... it's just to make you a better communicator and a public speaker and to present yourself better at work, to have better. We spend most of our lives at work. Yeah. <laughs> So it's important that you get along with all those people and and do and present your best self. That's usually what I appreciate about organizations. Um, they they feel less uh, cult like when they want to build you up. And any organization that that their goal is to make you better, to 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 empower you, so that you don't need to you know uh, be sitting in front of the monitor taking in their wisdom all the time. I like the empowerment, and I, I like how positive it is toward getting you, you know, into your own life better. Now tell me this one. Your next science is, why are employees afraid to speak up at work? Yeah, this is, what we're getting into here is um, the practicality of public speaking. Um, we've talked in the past, uh, I don't think on the podcast, but you and I have talked about how much public speaking affects your earning power. It is, I, I mean, there are millions of quotes about this, uh, uh, dozens by Warren Buffett alone. Um, everybody talks about how uh, public speaking and the ability to uh, communicate effectively, it is so vital to being social in a way where you, you increase your earning power. Um, one of those places is interviews. Interviews I've heard are called the, the new glass ceiling of America. Uh, if you are interviewed for college, uh, you probably already have the grades to get in. At the, at the interview portion, they're looking for what culture you are. Do you fit in? In fact, they call it, when you, when you go to a job interview, corporate culture. 
Um, I had a boss who used to say that. He said, the person who gets a job is not who's best for it. It's the person who interviews the best. Yes. How'd that, how'd that make you feel? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think that's a fair system? It doesn't seem fair, but what he explained to me, too, is people who change jobs a lot are going to be better at interviewing because they do it more often. They get yeah. through the anxiety. They know the questions. They can kind of feel it out because they've done it more. And people who have stayed at a, at a job are probably not as good as talking about all the things they do. They think that that person knows, but they don't know how to build a structure to, to, to sell themselves and explain why. I'm going to fill these roles for you. They think just because I've been there that long that they know that. They may have done the resume. The other person might have the resume, but they actually said it, presented it, so they moved ahead. Right. It, it's absolutely true. Just just being open-minded and clear when you communicate during an interview is so vital. Um, you, you know you, but they don't know you. Correct, yeah. And again, that, that, that's... that's Assuming you have the skills, assuming you have the resume, what will carry you through by far is communication. The other part of uh, how communication and clear public speaking uh, can help you in earning. Uh, We're going to go to the Harvard Business Review for this. Uh, There's an article called Why Employees Are Afraid to Speak. And um, it's fascinating to me because it basically it, it lays out all the reasons why a business can lose money if people are afraid to speak up. Uh, we, we you and I have joked about um, Amazon how uh, Bezos runs his business under high pressure and tension, and high cortisol does not make for a good uh, um, or, or it does not make for an efficient workplace. Uh, turns out um, making people afraid to speak up is is similar. Um, so they interviewed, uh, th- this, they did not say the firm's name, uh, but Harvard Business Review went out of their way to find basically a statistically average firm uh, that had more than 200 employees. And they interviewed uh, 200 specifically um, from all levels and function of a firm because they just wanted one anecdote of, you know, how does it look like when, when people aren't communicating? Um, and they found out that... Um, well, they, they tried to take the steps that most companies do to make communicating grievances easier. They put in um, a zero-threat mediator, is what they called it, um, and they put in a, a suggestion section. Not just an inbox, it, it was like online or something, so you could truly be anonymous. Um, and yet, when they did these interviews, they found out that half of the people who um, did this uh, who, who knew about the mediators and the discussion box and the email, uh, they said they still didn't feel safe enough to speak up. Um, here's what they discovered from the people who were tight-lipped. So when they re-interviewed people who didn't feel safe, um, the, the, the no-duh one that came up was self-preservation. People didn't feel comfortable speaking, even if they were anonymous. They didn't feel comfortable sharing about grievances they had. Um, more importantly... Uh, The self-preservation part is a no-duh, but the self-preservation inhibited speech that would have helped the organization. Uh, They found out that um, a a large amount of the comments that they were going to share would have helped the, the, um, uh, not the organization in in their their message or their morals. It would have helped with their structure. What they were going to share would have helped with their efficiency. So it was potentially money-losing. Um, when you keep your mouth shut in a workspace like this, they said that they felt safer. Um, so not even for negative reporting. So what Bezos does where, you know, he tries to catch all of his employees when they do something negative. Telling on each other, yeah. Right. They're not even talking like telling on each other in secret police stuff. They just don't want to report, period, because it, it always puts you a, a crosshair on you, even if it's anonymous. People are looking for who is making these comments. They're everywhere. We're paranoid. Right, yeah. <laughs> don't have a bad thought. Don't tell your kids about work. They might somehow leak back to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's everyone in my house is a traitor because they might they might talk about I'm laughing because I know how this feels. Like, <laughs> I, I, I've been on the other side, too. The, the, it's so weird to, like, if you get a, a comment by email 
and it's like somebody at our workspace is, you know, uh, like leaving gulp. comments about, yeah. <laughs> like somebody has left us a negative review. You start looking for them. You're like, who here is dissatisfied? <laughs> so when they polled the people who um, who did this this uh, query, they found many of them uh, who reported. Uh, withholding input from a person higher up in the corporate hierarchy because they believed, quote, without evidence, that the superiors felt ownership over a project, process, or issue, and they'd resent suggestions. Um, so the first part is we don't want to be targeted. The second part is our superior feels like they own what we're doing or they feel like they own the process or the project. So that's the second reason not to communicate. It's is, a personal insult that you know better than they do. Right. You don't want to attack their project or their process. Uh, quote, employees also believe their bosses would feel betrayed if constructive ideas were offered when more senior leaders were present. Or that their bosses would feel embarrassed to be shown up by a subordinate. Have you ever read, uh, have you ever read the book 48 Laws of Power? No, I haven't. It's it's a fun. It's it's a, it's a, a basically a modern Machiavellian guide to power, getting it and retaining it. Um, one of the the laws in there that always struck uh, stuck out in my mind was uh, never outshine the master, and that's that's one of the points they made here. The the idea that bosses would feel embarrassed to be shown up by a subordinate. Where's the reward for creativity? Exactly. This is America, right? Yeah. We create we create and invent all the cool stuff. We're a meritocracy until you show me up at work and I'm your superior. Then your ass is out on the curb. <laughs> I want to fight to the death, but just not my death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm okay with people uh, speaking up at work as long as it's not to me or about me. Then. <laughs> uh, so this isn't so much about removing barriers at work. Hotlines, mediators, suggestion boxes. Um, you have to change the culture at work. Like, you have to, ex- executives who have power have to challenge the assumptions that reinforce silence. Because without doing so, they're basically leaving money on the table. They're, they're letting potential leaders who stay quiet slip through the cracks. And all these good ideas. If your first idea goes up and it's shot down, you're not going to come up with another one. So you have to feel comfortable putting enough out there that one's going to stick and and make the company more money or... Right. And you have to be willing to hear that, which is unfortunate for a lot of companies that don't like that. And I would think the people who would speak up are probably the loudmouths that don't have a lot, but the people who are more thoughtful are, are not saying anything. The wrong people are talking out. <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes the person with the answer is not the one doing the speaking. Um, so if you are trying to uh, get better at public speaking... Uh, just keep in mind that with practice, w- with, with doing it in a safe space uh, at a club or um, uh, anywhere you can, uh, w- anywhere we're talking about where you can go practice public speaking, getting better at that means you will also communicate your ideas safer and more honestly and more clearly at work. Um, so you may l- uh, work at a hostile environment like we're talking about from this Harvard's bi- Harvard Business Review. Um, but if you practice and you get uh, clear and concise with your ideas, you can still thrive at a hostile work environment. You can still put out your ideas in a clear way. Um, it may take work and it, it may be more challenging, uh, but it is pretty much always rewarding. There's no way learning public speaking isn't rewarding is what we're saying. So speaking of the rewards of doing this, of putting in the practice, do you want to do you want to start talking about our experiences a bit and and some of the rewards? We got solution two. So solution one, still have Carnegie. Solution two is Toastmasters. Okay. So for the record, we're not being paid by Toastmasters. <laughs> Toastmasters is a nonprofit speaking organization, um, of which both Todd and I are members. Toastmasters will cure you. I've been a member since longer than I care to admit, but into the 90s. And I've seen people that came in that were just painfully shy, that would run out of the room crying. And then Joe, in six to eight months, they're strutting around in front of us, giving a five to seven speech, five to, five to seven minute speech, and we're all cheering. Right. Or and you they, can't shut them up. Yeah, exactly. You get, <laughs> in you a get good them way. out of their role. Now, 
this is the best thing about Toastmasters. It's a nonprofit. Every almost every CEO has taken it. Um, every business leader, um, entrepreneurs, everyone's done it. Mm-hmm. It costs about 150 bucks a year to go to it. So it's 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 a great value. If you compare that to um, public speaking classes or courses or public speaking, um, there there are uh, uh, motivational um, uh, workshops that you can go to for public speaking. That costs four grand, and you don't get near I was as good say, as fast. They're multiples times as much, and you do not see as much progress because you do not uh, you're not given the practice time. Now, the, the nice thing about Toastmasters, it's a very raw, raw encouraging. So, And everyone has a role. So let's say Joe gives up and gives a short five- to seven-minute speech. Well, I'm listening to his speech because I have to evaluate, give him things I like, things he could approve on, and things I loved after he goes. So I have to listen so hard to every word he said. And everyone's involved in some way. The best thing that I take out of Toastmasters is it's called Table Topics. And what it is is, let's say you're in the elevator at work. You work for a big company, and the CEO comes in, and he turns to you and says, tell me about yourself. Are you going to just stare at him, or are you going to be able to go? And it teaches you to talk on your feet. So they give you a subject, and you give a short one- to two-minute speech on it. And it's really hard, and it's really awkward. But with all the Toastmasters, they're cheering you on. You'll get through it. It is tough to be afraid when so many people are being so positive. Yeah, my friend said that he's an engineer, and he said, I'm the kind of guy, before I joined Toastmasters, if you ask me a question, I'd get back to you in five days. Right. You know, you know people like that? They have Absolutely. to think everything about everything. They'll, they'll come back with a schematic and an answer. But yeah. in life, you got to go. In opportunity, you got to go. Yes, absolutely. Um. I think when I got into Toastmasters, uh, I first enjoyed sharing uh, stories that would make people feel that wow factor. Like like what we do on the podcast here, I, I want to make people realize stuff about their own life. Um, but then I, I got more into um, being a, uh, I became an area director is what they call it. So you join Toastmasters to learn public speaking. And then if you get into sort of the leadership side, because they, they are organized. They, they have to have the clubs in organization. They all have to be teaching the same curriculum. Um, so you can get into leadership uh, in Toastmasters. In fact, the, the uh, Toastmasters slogan is where leaders are made. Um, so when you get into the leadership side of it, they send you around to other clubs. And wow, that is a great experience. Uh, because you start out in your own club for the first year or two. And you learn what they know about public speaking and you practice. And then they start sending you around if you join the leadership side and you get to see all these other clubs. I I, I think I toured almost every club in the Beaverton area, which was 30 or 40. Um, And it was just taking all the great stuff other people can share or are willing to share and, and getting opportunity to speak. Um, so once you're in it, it's not just the one club. You can visit multiple clubs. You can meet a lot of new people, and you get to speak at a lot of interesting places. And what Joe's saying, if you're going to 30 clubs and there's 20 members, you're, you're networking with 600 professional people who are working on themselves after work. It's really powerful. Absolutely. And you, <clears throat> by doing this, you put down roots in your local community. You can't meet that many people who are professionally interested in speaking and communicating without making connections. Um, so it is a great community connector. And it's a diverse group, all different ages. Um, one of the mentees was, she was running for Miss Oregon. And then it had somebody else who had a speech impediment it could barely say a full sentence. So someone who's disabled, on vocally getting up there brave enough to speak and then someone is going to get up and do the (laughs) the parade wave right yeah that is that is a great combination so good speaking skills generally for your life like coming out of toastmasters after a couple years of really putting in reps and practice being that clear as a speaker you come off larger in people's minds like, like, like people think of you differently. They treat you differently. It, it's almost as evident having good speaking skills as like weight loss. 
Like it is, it is so obvious when you meet someone and they're a polished speaker and they have a good message and they're they're easy and fun to talk to. They, have, makes, they have a strut. They have a little peacock strut. To they them. do. They absolutely do. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. And and this is what I will challenge you with before we get to our our call to action. Um, what is Gandhi without Gandhi's message? If you don't think clear speaking changes your personality in other people's minds. Just think about all these really world-renowned speakers that you know, and, and what are they without that clear message? That's a great point. Now, I want to talk to you about one thing, the painfully shy person. Okay. Now, I always, I've told this joke for years, and I go out of my way to try to connect with people just the way I am. And I always say, don't ever win over a shy person. Do you want to know why? What's that? Because they'll never stop talking once you win them over. <laughs> You'll be their only friend, and they'll have to empty the well every time they see you. Because right. they're comfortable with you, so they just blah. You're like their therapist at this point. <laughs> and they're not very good at talking jokes. They don't do it to everybody, different people, so they're tactless. <laughs> and they hurt your feelings once you win them over. Whatever, whatever those, um, I can't remember what it is, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. The, the whole funny. notion of like... Each each gender has like uh, twenty thousand words a day or something. So if you if you open up a shy person, you're the only vent for that thirty thousand, forty thousand, whatever the amount is. Those they words got like are going twelve to years you. of yeah. Niagara Falls built up. Right. <laughs> Being shy isn't always a bad thing. Different people are comfortable with different levels of social activity, and being shy is a natural thing. Some people tend to miss out on great opportunities, moments, experience, just because they're too shy to put themselves out there. I think I've experienced some of that. Um, but with with being shy, that's something you eventually can... Uh, not, not just being shy as a personality, either. We're, we're talking, like, communication shy. Like... So, for instance, if I'm shy as a person, that's fine. That That's me. But being professionally shy, shy in a setting where I need to share ideas and be clear, that's where you can lose out on money and time, right? It is, but you still have that need, even as a shy person. People think that someone's in, introverted or shy. They don't need other people, and they still need that same sense of uh, being part of the group, being heard in a work setting or in a social setting. They want to be included in your heart and your spirit. You still want to be part of part of the gang. Right. So this will benefit everybody. It will. And, and my challenges out there is not just if you're a shyer person, but it's for the extroverts. I had a convention I went to, and there was a man there who was painfully shy. And you could see that in all his body languages in our classes. And we were going to be there. We were in Phoenix for a week. He had the same name as me. And so I said, Todd, I said, for this whole week, I want you side by side with me. And he lit up and he got comfortable immediately. Mm. And he ended up being the funnest, um, smartest person in the whole group. But I, I don't think if I would have given him that little shield, which was me, mm -hmm. he would have been opened up like that. That's awesome. That's really generous. I, I like that. Now, the three keys, if you're an extrovert, working with someone who's painfully shy. Number one is you want to give them lots of affirmations. You want to reward them when they say something. You want to give them a lot of attention. Okay. Include them. Invite them to do things because they're too shy to. They don't think they, they, they're not used to getting invited to things. So sometimes you have to go invite them and build them up and let them know that they're good enough. So do you think, just going back to our original narrative, if somebody had in that courtroom that Gandhi was in, where he was supposed to be uh, um, asking questions. Maybe if somebody had taken him aside and, and built him up, had, had trained him to, to ask questions, had, had coached him through it, he might have, we might have had lawyer Gandhi instead of, you know, movement Gandhi. I, I, isn't India glad I worked out the way it did? Yeah. <laughs> it it would have been, I, I think everybody would be better off if we had people who would encourage communication. But yeah, it would have been a different world. And the research doesn't say this, but I think this. I think he got some people on his team that knew how wise he was and what a great leader he was and helped encourage and push him along the way. 
So we talked in the opening narrative that um, Mahatma Gandhi said that his passion overrode his fear of public speaking. You mentioned that uh, it, it made him a, a quicker, more thoughtful, pithier speaker. That when he eventually became the thinker he became, the, the, the great, clear speaker he became, uh, it was just entirely driven by passion. He could not communicate his message. and he, he got that really sort of like laconic style down. So that's our advice for everyone who is listening now. Uh, if you're just stepping into public speaking, if you're thinking about it and you haven't committed yet to uh, getting better at interviewing, getting better at sharing at work, getting better at communicating, our best advice is uh, you're not alone. Like we said, 75% of the population has speaking anxiety of some sort and that your journey to public speaking should be powered by your passion. Like Gandhi, find something you're passionate about that will help you push through your fear. And treat it like going to the gym. It really is going to benefit your life in an overall way. It will benefit your, your money-making ability. So let that passion push you through. Let, let yourself celebrate the small victories, the little you know, stepping into a public speaking class or a Toastmasters class. Let that be a small victory you celebrate like walking into the gym. And as you do this, uh, every time you feel shaky, anytime you feel fear, anytime you feel like you're not doing well in public speaking, just remember your passion. Just think about why you're doing it, even if that is for the money or because you want to sell a book eventually. Uh, whatever your passion is, uh, let it push. Uh, let it be the engine. And if nothing else, as we mentioned, doing it for the interview power is a totally valid reason. You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to this show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredu.com where we have research links, show notes, blog articles for every episode. And you can come in and leave feedback and engage us in spirited debate. We love that. We're not experts at anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. Mm-hmm.